Are you ready to be awakened and empowered in your calling and purpose? Are you a builder and shaper of the church, marketplace, and society? Welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Schneider, and I look forward to helping you get equipped as a catalyst of the kingdom in your sphere. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Transformation Generation Podcast in our new series, Apostolic Solutions. I want to ask you a question today. What do you do when you have all the theory, you've been to the conferences, you've read the books, you feel you know exactly how to execute, and you have a sense that God could really use you if he would just start to use you. (laughs) And you find yourself maybe clamoring for meeting the right people in green rooms, uh, trying to be at the right place at the right time, have a whole lot of coffee meetings and forge relationships, be all over social media, You're looking for every way possible, and it seems like you know you should be used by God, but why doesn't God know? Why hasn't the floodgates of promotion and influence opened for you? Selah. (laughs) Because there's a lot of people watching that probably can relate to that. You'd never admit it, but you feel that constant burden in your heart. Why haven't I broken through? Why is God not using me the way that I should be used? Well, there's actually some secrets that couldn't be further from the opposite of self-promotion, meeting the right people, uh, jumping on the charismatic hamster wheel. It's something that looks so different. You can only beg God to take you through this particular thing. I want to talk to you today for the next few moments on how to prepare yourself to be chosen by God. How to prepare yourself to be chosen by God. Now, right there, you're thinking, aren't I already chosen? How can one, you know, if you've got a little bitterness or religiosity, how can one prepare themselves to be chosen by God? Listen, anything God does in this realm, he does through partnership with man. It's just the reality. He's looking for partnership. The eye of the Lord looks to and fro over the whole earth, trying to find somebody He can show himself powerful on their behalf. God uses people. By a prophet, it says, God delivered Israel. And it's the same today. God looks for partnership with people, and he can actually partner with you, but it requires a position and a posture from you that is quite the opposite of the way in the world that we go about trying to be seen and trying to get a result. Believe it or not, God doesn't select people. I mean, he calls all people, but he doesn't choose people based on the gift he's given them necessarily. He looks for something in their heart. He knew the difference between the ways and the works of both Saul and David, and he rejected Saul and chose David despite David having issues. It was a heart thing. He was known as a man after God's own heart. The problem is, because of our blind spots and just our human nature, we often do not know our own hearts. My grandfather used to say, Derek, and he was quoting scripture, the heart is wicked above all else. No man can know it. What this really means is that we are never the best assessors of what's in our hearts. (laughs) This is so true. Uh, Other people may notice things. God may be trying to deal with you in your heart, but there's nothing more blinding. We are never more blind than in the area of examining our own hearts 
And in fact, one of the keys for King David to being used by God was he would say things like, examine my heart. He'd say, search me, O Lord. Test my heart. He had an emphasis on making sure his heart was right with God. Now, at this point in this podcast, you're probably thinking, okay, I got it. I need to have a good heart. I need to make sure I'm walking in holiness, and then God will use me. It goes much deeper than that, and it actually is a practical thing. And I want to get into that today. 2 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 5 says, Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. We don't do a lot of examining of ourselves, do we? Oftentimes, if we actually take the time to pray, we're, we're praying against warfare, we're praying for more influence, but seldom do we pause long enough for God to do evaluation and examination to help us examine our own hearts. That's why sometimes he'll have to allow bad things to happen to good people. And you end up being taken out of ministry for a season, or, or life happens, or calamity happens, or choreographed crisis happens, where he can get us alone, whether it's laying in a bed, or in a situation, or sitting up at a cottage somewhere, and where we've been just zero-based. And you'll, This is why you find, often, after men and women of God have been broken, or zero-based, their ministry takes off. This is a fact and a somewhat of a formula in the economy of God and how he uses people. So examine yourselves. We often just don't give enough time to this part. But what do we do once we've examined ourselves? I already underscored the principle that at first glance, we don't know our own hearts. Therefore, this is the important part, we must apply systematic, spirit-led examination. Spirit-led examination, self-examination, self-evaluation. Now, I just used some big words there, and for some of us very charismatic people, you might have checked out right there and thought, examination, self-assessment. Listen, just just let me be led by the Spirit and, and all of that. Listen, this is a deep work that our early church fathers knew how to do, understood, and it was not only key to their intimacy with the Lord, but it was key to being used by God. Because despite what you see on social media, pop gospel genre churches that are popping up everywhere, performance-driven churches, uh, God uses people whose hearts are right. Ministry is actually intended to be out of the overflow of the purity and intimacy of our hearts. Ministry is actually a byproduct. Ministry is a result Ministry, true ministry of eternal value that changes lives from, from your city to your nation to whatever metron God has given you, your impact is supposed to be an overflow. Your impact is actually an overflow of your connection to Jesus, the true vine, uh, your, your connection in intimacy to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why We don't preach so much on revival. We're not seeking revival to idolatry, but we're seeking oneness with Christ until revival is an overflow of that that oneness that we have with the Lord Jesus Christ. I remember a time in my life when I felt ready. (laughs) Now when I say it, it uh, it sounds very immature. I was younger in ministry, but I felt ready to be used in a bigger way. 
I was serving on staff at my father's large church, uh, large church here in Canada, and I felt ready to really take the reins on some things. I was the heir apparent and in line to succeed him, and uh, he was going to be away for about a three-month period from the church, and he was entrusting it to me at that time, and I just thought, great. Here's an opportunity to prove myself. There's a lot of navel-gazing here. Me, I, I. (laughs) And here's an opportunity to prove myself, to not only show dad, but show the church I'm ready to lead. And and I'm feeling like I need to show everybody something. And that even God knows it's it's my time. Boy, it's hard to to say that (laughs) over again because it's so backwards. But it's what we deal with with the ego. And uh, total coincidence or not, about the time that dad left and was on extended uh, ministry in another country, I believe, uh, I became very sick. Uh, It was probably the most sick I had ever been in my life. Uh, I had just come back from several different countries, so they were testing me for malaria dengue fever, and, and all the tests were coming back as, as negative. It wasn't any of those things. The doctors actually could not figure out what I was sick with, and I was so sick that I was literally bedridden. I had to stay home in bed. Even when I would try to get up and go into the office, uh, I could walk about 10 feet, and I would have to get back into bed. Every four hours, I was having violent chills, it was just a horrible, horrible thing. And, and right when dad was going away, and this was my moment to prove myself in, in ministry, and here I was at home in bed. And I remember uh, thinking each day, okay, I'll get a good sleep and I'll get better. And I wasn't getting any better. And it got to the point where I began to kind of give up on this, this opportunity I'm thinking that I'm missing. And I began to sulk and become kind of introspective, depressed, feeling like I'm missing something or I've missed my opportunity. Well, I was in bed for such an extended period of time that I had sulked all I could sulk. I had watched all the movies I had in the house. You know, it was hard to even read something. And then one day, it was sort of like I came to the end of myself and I found myself watching a video from some pastor. I didn't know who he was. He was a guest speaker at a well-known church in America. And he was talking about how God knew the ways, the heart of Saul and the heart of David. They both had works. God knew Saul's works, but he knew David's ways. And, And I don't know why I was just gripped by this. And this man began to talk about how the Lord was convicting him The Lord spoke to him one day and said, you're an adulterer at heart. This man took this so hard. He said, what? I'm an adulterer at heart? And and I love my wife. You know, I'm, I'm married. I'm not cheating with anybody. And the Holy Spirit began to remind him of how he was undressing women with his eyes. How he looked at that woman and his thought life. And it was like God had begun to do deep work in his heart. And what I didn't know was that the Holy Spirit was setting me up for my own self-evaluation and deep heart work right there on the bed. And after I watched that video, I remember laying there and God began to deal with me and speak to me 
as I began to think about things in my own life, the, the little compromises. We, we consider them kind of pet sins, or, or we as leaders are doing so good over here at, at 90%, but, so maybe we can compromise in this 10%, or we minimize certain small sins. We call them small. And I couldn't believe that God had begun to deal with and put his finger on those things. The reality is, I felt I was ready for a certain level of ministry, but God wanted my heart, my whole heart. And he began to deal with me on certain things that would be considered uh, pet sins, so to speak. And, and, and as I began to see my own life, he spoke to me and he said, Derek, you're building your Christian life on feelings and emotions. You build your Christian life on feelings and emotions. If you feel like doing well in this area, you'll try for that. When you feel like cutting corners over here, you'll do that. And so your, your Christian life has this imbalance to it. You're not rooted and anchored, you know, in, in, in principle. So as he's, as he's telling me this and showing me that I build my Christian life on, on feelings and emotions, he began to speak that anything great or successful in life that can go the distance is not built on feelings and emotions. It's built on principles. And I, you know, this was kind of a new thought for me that, uh, and it made sense. We don't build our marriages on feelings and emotions, but it's built on commitment and certain principles. And how we even do business is not built on feelings or emotions. It's built on principles and keys and strategies. And so the Lord began to speak to me on shifting from a feeling-based lifestyle, Christianity, into really holding to and living according to principles. One of the things he began to deal with me about had to do with lust as well. He said, you know, uh, you look at this woman or you look at that woman and there's, there's lust in, in, your, in your heart. I was a single man at that time. And I remember thinking, okay, well, what do I, what do, I do about that? I, I repented about it. But what I chose to do, and now I look back and see that it was led by the Spirit, I chose to write down that thing that the Holy Spirit highlighted. I was laid up in that bed for long enough to begin to address these things. So I wrote that thing down, lust. And then I would look for a corresponding scripture. And believe me, I tried to make excuses. You know, I'm not sleeping around. I'm not messing with anybody. And then I would find the corresponding scripture. If you even look at a woman with lust, you're already committing adultery in your heart. So Jesus kind of cleared the deck. So I had to not only write down lust, but I wrote out the scripture, a corresponding scripture next to it, the principle from the word. I wrote it down and there it was. I addressed that issue. I looked at pride and then I, I found a scripture there. The scripture was, uh, the Lord opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And as I began to contrast my compromise with his principles, I no longer was gritting my sin through the eyes of the world, through feelings, emotions, um, through the culture of the day where we cut corners in those areas. The word was speaking. The word was addressing each of those areas. And my gosh, the fear of the Lord began to hit me. And there was even one I dealt with, with 
at that time, you know, sometimes we'll exaggerate as, as preachers. We'll give certain numbers or make something appear larger than it was. And in those days, as a young minister, I didn't really realize that I had begun to fall into that too. Or if somebody wanted an appointment with me and I, I didn't want to meet with them, I might say, I have an appointment already. Uh, and I meant with the couch or with, you know, something recreational. These cutting of corners that some people call white lies actually are sin. I couldn't believe the Holy Spirit wanted to deal with these things. And so I looked for a corresponding principle to the issue of compromise with exaggeration. The only scripture, unfortunately, I could find was liars shall have their place in the lake of fire. <laughs> and so as I looked at each of these things, there was a corresponding scripture that convicted my heart and I could effectively repent. And when I could repent, because that only comes by the help of the Holy Spirit, because oftentimes our consciences are seared and hardened to these habitual sins we've been practicing, when the Holy Spirit could help me to repent, he could also heal me and deliver me from things that had a grip on my own heart and my own life. Amazingly, as I made that list, I found it gave me great breakthrough. And when the Lord said it was time, and he knew my heart, I had examined my heart, and I had got things right with him, believe me, he raised me up and began to minister at that church in such a powerful way. Uh, we saw the Lord move incredibly even the first Sunday after that. Although I was still recovering from sickness, I just sat in a chair. Somebody had to fill in for dad. And I went in. I remember I, I got out of the car. My assistant helped me make my way up onto the pulpit. I sat down in a chair. I preached and then had to leave right after. But I don't think I had ever felt the power and presence of God as strong as I did on that stage. Because the brokenness and weakness in me and humility before God actually operated as an access point for God's power instead of my own power. It is really true. He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And I began to see how God began to elevate me in ministry after that. Well, this became a sort of regular practice uh, for me, not basing my Christianity on, on feelings, but kingdom principles. And I, I actually remember asking the Lord, well, if we're to build our lives on principles, it's <laughs> a true story, where do I find these principles? Hello, the Holy Bible <laughs> is the roadmap with the principles of how we're to live. So I began to even read the Bible differently to, to discover how I'm going to anchor my heart and my life. The reality is when God goes to use us, even we ourselves as ministers can have addictions in our lives, can have mindsets, even Paul talked about jealousies and, and envy. He likened that kind of behavior from leaders to being spiritual babies, only able to handle milk uh, and not the meat, because there's jealousy among us. We have these things in our lives that we don't often recognize, and oftentimes pastors and, and leaders are afraid to go and get deliverance, afraid to get delivered. And so God just can't trust them with massive ministry because he knows of the cracks in their integrity and character uh, and our private lives. One more story I'll share with you. I went through a season 
when I was very young, just having repented, left the music industry, but still had certain things hanging on to me. I had, a, I had what some might call a small addiction, something I was addicted to, something I loved to do, but I knew was sin. And as I continued uh, in seeking the Lord, I kind of, th this pet sin was always a part of me, uh, wherever I would go. And, and when I would sin in that particular way, I would repent and kind of throw up what I called a flare prayer. Just a quick prayer of, oh Lord, please forgive me. Or, God, I did it again, please forgive me. And then go about uh, my day just wanting to make sure I confessed it and was right with him in case I die. And, and I realized after a while, as I continued in this sin, this kind of prayer that I quickly threw up in the air, this wasn't repentance. It might have been some level of confession, but this wasn't heartfelt repentance. There was no godly sorrow attached to it. Why? It wasn't real repentance because my heart was now hardened because of continuing in that sin. There is a sin that hardens the heart, and in the original language, it has to do with willful, continued, and unrepentant. So I knew that I was having trouble truly repenting, and I remember being desperate to be right before God as I was entering ministry. And one day, I did something very radical. I went into the bathroom and I locked the door to, to the washroom and I laid in a bathtub with no water. So it was cold, <laughs> it was uncomfortable. And I said, God, I'm staying here until you help me to repent. I will not leave this tub or this room, no matter how uncomfortable it is, until you help me to repent, until I can see this sin the way you see it, until it breaks my heart as it breaks your heart. And I laid there for quite a while. We were going on half hour, 40 minutes. I tried to cry. I tried to say all the right things. And finally, I, my heart was so hardened in this way, I began to just pray in tongues. And I was praying in the Spirit and wanting the Holy Spirit to help me. And around the 45-minute mark, the presence of the Lord began to move in that room and my tears, my fake tears, became genuine as the Holy Spirit began to work on me and reveal to me how the Father sees this, what it's doing to my life, and I began to weep because my heart became softened to that thing and I experienced what you would call godly sorrow. A sorrow that leads to repentance. And this is still the kindness of God. We're not talking about condemnation. We're talking about godly conviction. Bringing us to a softness of heart so that we can change. And as I began to weep genuinely from my heart in that room, I could finally repent. And here's the extraordinary thing. As I repented to God for this sin, he actually could forgive. You see, it's not that God doesn't want to forgive us of things. It's that we can't repent when our hearts have become that hard. And so because I repented, God released forgiveness. But not only did he release forgiveness, he actually released deliverance. And that day, with no worship band, no minister, no prophet, I was completely delivered of that thing. And I never struggled with it again. Hallelujah. That's the power of genuine heart examination, genuine repentance. I want to encourage you, if you want to posture yourself and position yourself to be chosen by God and used for His glory, 
Begin to get radical, not in your social media presence. Begin to get radical, not in your attempt to meet the right people and work the charismatic wheel to get somewhere. But begin to get radical with heart surgery and Holy Spirit. Take times of prayer. Every month now I take three days of seclusion on a prayer retreat, and I do self-evaluation, giving the Holy Spirit enough time to help me examine my heart to get right with God so I enter into the next month with triple the anointing, triple the energy, because a prayer retreat is restful, and, and I'm focused and ready to be used by God. I encourage you, begin to take desperate steps to show God, ministry or no ministry, I want to be right with you. I want to be one with you. My heart belongs to you. And you will find as you posture yourself that way, God will look at you as someone he can trust and he'll choose you. And he'll say, this is my beloved son or daughter. Listen to him or her. He will open doors to platform you for his glory because he can trust you with great ministry and great anointing. God bless. Coming up next week, when you discern the culture of the nation or of the people group, man, God knows. <laughs> and when you pay the price in prayer and get God's mind on something and then build a system around it, you can literally make history in that particular nation. Thanks for listening to Transformation Generation Podcast. If you liked what you heard, visit historymakersacademy.com to enroll in one of our cutting-edge trainings. Don't forget to like and subscribe to our YouTube channel, History Makers TV.